You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Uh, Family, speaking of, is what we're going to be talking about, being a part of a family, being in specifically hospitality, all right? So hospitality is something that is very important in in a family, and it is that aspect of bringing people in, like I say, to make them feel like they are a part of your family protecting them, providing for them. And there's a story that, uh, that I recall, and it's been made into a movie now, about a guy named Marcus Luttrell who had that exact thing happen for him. Anybody know the story of Marcus Luttrell? Some of you. Well, Marcus Luttrell is a uh, former U.S. Navy SEAL, and back in 2005, in June of 2005, he was on a mission. He was, found himself, he was in Afghanistan, and he and three other guys, a team of four, went out, and they're on a reconnaissance mission. And while they're on this mission, they, get, uh, they run into some goat herders and compromise their security. And so they're confused. They're like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? So they let the goat herders go, and they start to try to make their way off the mountain. But the Taliban found out that they were there. And so a force bigger than the, these four guys ambushes this team of Navy SEALs. And in the ensuing firefight, all three of Luttrell's teammates are killed in action, leaving him the only survivor. And he didn't survive because, you know, he was a super soldier and fought everybody off on his own. The only reason that this man survived this event was because of another man who lived further down the mountain, a guy named Mohammed Gulab. Gulab lived in a Pashtun village on the same mountain that Luttrell had found himself on. And this was the best thing that could have happened for Luttrell that day. Because the Pashtun people who live in uh, Afghanistan have a way of life called the Pashtun Wali. And it's a code of conduct that they all live by. And two of the primary parts of this code of conduct is showing people hospitality and giving asylum to those who are in need, people who are running from an enemy. And that's exactly what this group of people did, this, this man did for Marcus Luttrell. He came upon him as he was wounded and running from the Taliban, and he took him into his home. He took him back to his village and treated him like he was family. But by doing that, Gulab was not just putting himself in danger, but he was putting his family in danger and the entire village because of his hospitality and giving this man asylum. The Taliban wanted Luttrell, but they would not give him up. They brought him into their, their family, protected him, cared for him until the U.S. forces could come and pick him up. Now that is hospitality. That is radical hospitality. And as we go into our little book for the day, 3rd John, we're going we're gonna to talk more about hospitality. And that's just one example that, you know, we ha- we've seen in the, con- in the world, and that's not even from somebody who was a follower of Jesus. So we're going to bu- be in the book, 3rd John, today. Um... A couple of 
logistical things, some facts or backgrounds for this book. This book is only 219 words long. So it is the shortest book in the Bible. Um, It is also the only book in the entire New Testament that does not include the name of Jesus or even the word Christ. So it's found in the back of your Bibles towards the end. It's very small. It's usually probably only on one page. So you've probably flipped over it many times. Um, And it doesn't specify right in the writing who actually wrote it. It just says the elder. And this is very similar to the other two Johns that don't have that. Second John only has that as well. But as um, scholars and theologians have looked into this and compared it to all the other writings and all the things they know, they've been able to say, no, this is in fact written by the Apostle John. The same John who followed Jesus for three years, who penned the Gospel of John and also the book of Revelation. And this was written later on in John's life while he was living in Ephesus. And we've talked about Ephesus quite a bit here, but I'll show you on a map where it's at. So Ephesus is located in the uh, ancient area of Asia Minor. This is now modern-day Turkey. Um, The city of Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at this time. And so as such, it was very important. It was a port city, even though it's stuck on inland. It was a port city, but it was very important for trade. Um, And so there was a lot of things going on there. It was also very important for the, the mission of the gospel. Because there were so many people going in and through there, It became a hub for the church. That's why you see Paul and Timothy spending a lot of time of their ministries in there, and why we find John the Apostle there in the ends of the end, uh, the last years of his life. Um, So Paul or John, excuse me, is here and he's writing this book. He's um, he's one of the elders of the church here in the city, and he's also very influential in all of the regions. There's tons of little villages all around this area, and and John is one of the ones who's very influential in what's going on in those churches as well. And as he's writing this letter, it's it's addressed to a guy named Gaius, you'll see. And Gaius is somebody who's in one of these small towns, involved in one of these small churches. So let's go to 3 John. Let's, uh, Let's read and see what John writes to his friend Gaius. Here's what God's word says. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from pagans, We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, 
But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. And not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Let's spend a little bit of time here unpacking this short letter from John to his dear friend Gaius and see what treasures we can find and where it leads us. So as I look at the letter as a whole, I see a couple of different purposes that is happening here. The first off, this letter is acting almost like a letter of recommendation for Demetrius, right? Because Demetrius is probably the one that's actually carrying this to Gaius. He's probably, he's probably a missionary himself going on a mission to spread the gospel and He's going to be passing through this town that Gaius lives in. And so John wants to make sure that he's going to be welcomed and taken care of. So he gives a recommendation to Gaius. Hey, Demetrius is a good guy. You can trust him. We know him. There's a lot of good people here that know him. Welcome him, all right? And in the midst of doing that, he spends the first half of the letter like commending Gaius for, the, for doing that exact thing for welcoming people into his home and showing them his, the love of God, taking care of them. And he's imploring Gaius to continue to do the same thing with Demetrius as he comes to them. Which is interesting to me. It seems a little strange that John even has to have this conversation with Gaius. Because based on what John says, like Gaius is already known for this. He has a great reputation for taking care of people that come to, it, come to that town. He welcomes them with open arms. Why does John feel like it's necessary for him to share this? Well, if you remember, John talks about another guy in this little book, a guy by the name of Diotrephes, who apparently is a part of this same church as Gaius, and somehow has influence or leadership within the church. And this guy is causing a lot of drama for people who are traveling through this area. Missionaries, believers that are coming to this town. Diotrephes is causing drama. He is, he is not welcoming them. In fact, he is kicking people out of the church that does. And, Paul, and John knows this, and I think John is is trying to encourage Gaius in the midst of this. I, he probably, I bet Gaius was getting a lot of pressure to fall in step with what Diotrephes was trying to do and, and implement in this church. 
So John knew it was necessary to, to speak the truth into Gaius and to, to call out the great things that he's doing and implore him to continue to, to walk in the truth that he already has been walking in, to continue to live that out. Keep walking the path that you're known for. Keep showing hospitality to people who come around to you. Because that's what God's people do. It is really strange, though, that this is the reaction of Diotrephes. I mean, the fact that he is a professed follower of Jesus aside, which really makes it strange that you would kick out people from your church for, be, for being hospitable. But the other thing that is strange for me is the context of this time and place that this is all taking, this is, this is all happening. You see, in, in the ancient world, in this time, in this place, hospi- hospitality was a very, very big deal. You know, in the, in the Roman Empire, in the Greco-Roman world, hospitality was viewed as one of the great virtues that you could practice and live out. It was instrumental in everybody's life. It was necessary, especially if you were a traveler. Now think of, uh, think of the worst motel that you've ever stayed in. You know, the one that you pulled into and regretted instantly, right? Book, you, you're like, I should just turn around and go. There's no way I should stay here, but you do. Now, imagine that motel with more bugs, more mold in the tub and climbing up the walls, more stains on the sheets, more seedy people staying in and around it. That's, that's a glimpse of what the, the taverns and the inns were like along the ancient highways. They were not a good place to stop and stay. You were not bringing your family to stay at a motel. This is, this is worse than Motel 6. Like, you're not staying there. They're, they'd leave the lights on for you, but you're keeping on going. So it was vitally imperative for hospitality to exist. Because you, you didn't know if you are going to be able to make it from home to wherever you're going unless you knew that you could count on the hospitality of people along the way. To have a safe place to stay for the night. To know that you weren't going to be robbed blind as you slept. Or maybe even killed. Hospitality was a big deal. So it was a big deal for travelers, but just in the culture itself, many of these cultures uh, were shame and honor societies. So everything that you did, everything that you said, would either bring honor or shame upon yourself. And not just yourself, but also it could do, bring honor and shame on your families. It could bring honor and shame on your village. And when you were not welcoming to a stranger coming through the area, that was shameful. Think about that story of Marcus Luttrell I told earlier, like, that guy was showing us hospitality and he was asking the rest of his family and his village to get on board with it, and they did. Hospitality was 
a big deal back then, and it still is today, like the story in La- with Latrell. You know, I, I remember, um, actually it was the same year, 2005, I was overseas, but I was in Iraq. And I remember on one mission, we were, we were out <clears throat> just doing village visits, and our leadership was meeting with the village leadership, trying to find what we could do to help out. And my, my team was out on the outskirts of town, pulling security in the Humvee, and uh, our little hot box, because it was August, so well into the 120s. And so we're just sitting in the, in the truck, miserable, and we can see this home nearby us, and the gate is open so we can see the porch, and we were there for hours, and as time went by, women started to come out on the porch, and little girls, and they just, just watched us, stared at us. And being overly paranoid all the time, like we made sure to keep an eye on them. But eventually, this one little girl, I think maybe there was two, started walking out with something in her hands. And we're like, what in the world? As it got closer, we could tell that it was a tray. So I jump out, me and another guy jump out of the truck and greet these girls that we don't speak their language, they don't really speak our language. But on this tray were four to six of the most ornate, beautiful little glasses that I've ever seen with a drink inside it. I can only assume that it was coffee, but I'm not sure because it was like 50% sugar and 50% brown water. But they brought out the best they had to give to us guys out here because they knew it was hot. They were just trying to be hospitable. They didn't really want us there, but we were in their area, and so they showed us hospitality. Hospitality has been something that has been permeating through many cultures for centuries. And these, these aren't even followers of Jesus. Diotrephes was a follower of Jesus, and he lived in a society that hospitality was a big deal, but for some reason he decided that hospitality wasn't. He decided that he was more important than anybody else. He decided to not walk in a life of hospitality. But as followers of Jesus, we must. Because it is a part of who we are. Because it is a part of what, of the kingdom that Jesus is building. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Is it like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through. Now on the surface, like this doesn't seem to have anything to do with hospitality. But for the first century hearer, those that Jesus is talking to, the first century Jew, they know exactly what he's talking about. They know exactly what story in the Old Testament that he is referring to, a story that's found in Genesis chapter 18, a story of extravagant hospitality. Let's go check it out together. Genesis chapter 18. Here's what it says. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. 
He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then then wash all your feet and rest under this tree. Let Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they said. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. That measurement, three seahs, is about 60 pounds of flour. Then, the, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk in the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So here we have this story of extravagant hospitality. 60 pounds of flour is going to make a lot of bread for three dudes. But here's an interesting little twist on this story. In the chapter before this, we read about when God institutes a sign of the covenant that he is making with Abraham. And that sign of the covenant is circumcision. I'm not going to go into the medical wherewithal about what that is, but I think you all know what it is. But God said, in order for, for the sign for this covenant that we are making together, Abraham, is for you to circumcise yourself and all the males in your household. Now, there's this really cool thought, theory, belief that as chapter 18 unfolds and opens and you see Abraham sitting down at the entrance to his tent that he is still recovering from what I can only imagine was the most traumatic thing that he has ever experienced at the ripe old age of 90. But even in the midst of that, when he saw three strangers come into the area of his camp, he got up in the heat of the day and ran over to them because he wanted to make sure that they were taken care of while they were around him. This is the example that Jesus gives to people as to what the kingdom of heaven is like. Is there any wonder why? It is a perfect example of what it should look like. The kingdom of heaven is full of people like Abraham and Sarah who are willing to inconvenience themselves, to put themselves in uncomfortable situations, to give of their time and resources, to put others before themselves. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of hospitality. And if we're honest, well, maybe if I'm honest with myself, that can be a tough kingdom to be in sometimes. Especially when we live in a time and a culture where that is not the kind of kingdom that we are encouraged to be a part of. A kingdom of selflessness is not encouraged. In fact, the kingdom we live in most of the time in this world is a kingdom of self, a kingdom of selfishness where you do what you need to do for you. Take care of yourself 
first. And I know that far, too, far more than I'd like to admit, I find myself walking into that kingdom and not being hospitable. One of the ways I know this comes up in my life, and I know where it's kind of a barometer of where I'm at with Jesus when this happens, but like I'll be sitting at home and just chilling with the family, doing whatever, maybe watching a show, and then a knock happens on the door or the doorbell goes off. And I would love for my initial response to be like, oh, awesome, somebody's at the door. How may I help you? Like, I, that's what I want. That's what I desire. But more often than not, I'm, I'm like the cave of wonders in that cartoon of Aladdin, right? Who disturbs my slumber? Like, I'm just, it's not, it's not the response that I want to have. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because it's not what I know that Jesus did. It's not the example he put out there. And it's not the example that I grew up with either. I grew up in a small town on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana. And for most of my childhood, my dad was a game warden for the tribal fishing game. And because of that, he had a lot of people in the valley knew who my dad was. And so, you know, as a little kid, doing little kid things, sometimes you would inspire adults to ask you what your name was. Um, And when I would give them my name, they would always be like, oh, are you Mike McKeldry's boy? Like, oh, crap. (laughs) I'm in trouble. I knew it was always going to get back to him. But even in the midst of that, the thing that I know that my dad was known for most in our town, and the thing that I'm most proud of, was what he would do when people would show up at our door. So my house was right on the main street in our little town, and so people walked by it all the time. Sometimes they found themselves walking right into our yard and knocking on the door. All hours of the night. Because they knew. They knew that somebody would get up and answer the door. And they knew that whatever they needed help with, my dad would do. Give him a ride, give them food. Even though we were a family of six and had very little ourselves, pray for them, do whatever, give them a place to stay. Like, it did not matter. And he always made sure to let people know why he did it why he was willing to invite them in to our family. It was because of his love of Jesus. People knew that by the way he acted, the, way, the things that he did, and by a sign that he put up on our, our front, uh, one of our trees. He took a piece of plywood and painted on there, do you need a friend? Ask for Jesus. So people knew, as soon as they walked in there, they were going to get a friend. And it was going to be Jesus living through, uh, coming through my dad. He still has the sign. He's updated it a little bit, as you can see. But everyone who walks on our property, 
Know that my mom and dad will give them whatever they need. They have created an environment and a reputation for showing hospitality to anybody and everybody. There's never any question of that. And they're living out of hospitality because of the love that they have for Jesus. And they're always willing, always willing and ready to live that out for anyone who needs it. They are doing exactly what John, the author of 3 John, says in his other book, in 1 John. In 1 John 3, he writes this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Hospitality can look a lot of different ways. It's not always going to be you taking somebody in and fighting off a foreign force, right? Hospitality can look like you stepping up and being your host home for your life group. Hospitality can look like what my life group got to do this week for our host home, who's been our host home for the last three years. But he's He's in the military and he's suffering. He's being stationed in Hawaii this next go around. But we were able to come around and show, repay the hospitality they've been giving us by doing different projects around the house to help help them get it ready to put on the market this week. And it was awesome. Hospitality can look like just taking a meal to somebody that you know is in need. Or inviting somebody over for a meal or to play games. Or it can look like just being present. Sitting with somebody and listening and giving them your full, undivided attention. It can look like a lot of different things. And we are all called to live out hospitality. It's not just for those people who have the spiritual gift of hospitality. I mean, they're good at it. Those are the people that you're like, man, you're annoyingly good at hosting people. That's because they have the spiritual gift of it. But we all have the same spirit living with inside us. We all have the ability to let the love of Christ flow out of us and welcome anybody and everybody into our family. We all have the ability and the opportunity to be selfless and love like Abraham and Sarah did, like Gaius did, like Mike McKeldry does. We can show a hospitality that is the love of Jesus being lived out in our lives each and every day. There's a quote I want to share with you guys that I think kind of sums up a lot of this that one of the people in our, 
um, sermon club shared last week. It's from a gal named Maya Angelou. Many of you probably know who that is. But she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. When we are living out hospitality and we are showing people that they are a part of our family, that we will protect them, that we will love them, that we will care for them, that is a feeling that will stay with them forever. And it's the same feeling that I get and I think about when I think about what Jesus did for me. When he, ha- he, he did the, the ultimate act of hospitality and he sacrificed himself for us. It was on that night that he was betrayed. Jesus took the bread and he he broke it and he gave it to his guys and he said, this is my body which is for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. After the meal he took the cup and said, this is a cup of my blood which is the new covenant. Uh, Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of hospitality. That you are a God who has welcomed us into your family. Lord, that you have protected us, that you have cared for us, and you continue to do so. Lord, I just pray that as we go out today and we think about our lives and what we're doing today, Lord, that we will look for opportunities on how we can show the same hospitality that you have shown us, the same love that you've given us to the people that we come into contact with. From little ways to big ways, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, help us to show the love of your son, Jesus Christ, in all that we say and all that we do. Let us make your, let us lift your name on high. Lord, your name is great. Let us Let us do everything that we do for it and in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.